This is Unretirement, a podcast about finding purpose and a paycheck in the second half of life. I'm Chris Farrell from American Public Media. The other day, I was looking at some fascinating data. It's about the rise in multi-generational households, families where grandparents, children, and grandchildren share a home. Now, the numbers are striking. A record 57 million Americans live together in multi-generational family homes. Put somewhat differently, that's almost one in five households, double the number of 1980. So what's behind this big uptick? Immigration, of course, the tough job market of recent years, that's been a factor. But having several generations live under one roof also makes financial sense. Still, this is not what I grew up with. My parents had no interest in living in a multi-generational home. So I wondered, how do people make this work? Today we'll talk to Esther Greenhouse, an expert on multi-generational living. But first, we're going to meet a family that's doing it right now. Of course parents love their children, but that's actually not enough. Love will take you very far and it will be the underpinning of everything you do, but you have to really think if you can live together. That's Sondra Platt. Sondra and her husband, Dwight Miyake, spent their first careers as teachers in California's Central Valley, the state's agricultural heartland between San Francisco and Los Angeles. A few years ago, they found themselves spending their vacations in Washington, D.C. area, visiting their only child, Emily, and her young family. Uh, my name is Emily Moroli, and I am the mother of two small children in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and I'm an attorney for the federal government. Emily and her husband, Eric, a manager at a big box retailer, have demanding jobs. But their lives got really busy when they started having children. Our son, Asaka, my daughter wasn't born yet, but our son was in daycare. And so there was just the constant sort of scheduling issues as far as who would drop off and who would pick up and whose work was going to allow for any flexibility that was necessary. If a kid was sick, it was definitely a challenge. Emily and Eric were managing, of course, but both of their families lived on the West Coast. So they didn't have relatives. They could ask to bail them out when they needed a sitter or they just needed some help. So they started concocting this outrageous idea to convince Emily's parents, Sandra and Dwight, to move to D.C. Sandra and Dwight's response? You've got to be kidding. But then during a visit to D.C., Sandra went to Asaka's daycare. He was in the, the infant little tiny one care at that point, and it was lovely and warm and wonderful, and they clearly knew him and loved him and were taking very good care of him. But I did get a peek into the... Next place he would go when he got a little bit older, and I wasn't real thrilled about that. Sandra knows what she's talking about. Her career was in early childhood education. She ran a Montessori school, she consulted, and taught early childhood ed at a local community college. And she didn't want her grandson in that classroom. I could just see children just not really engaged, you know, weren't weren't moving around, weren't happy looking. They didn't look happy. And Sandra thought, I can solve this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. That's, this is what I do. I'm going to do it for my grandbaby. So they said to Emily, let's do it. We're moving to D.C. They decided they wouldn't just move in nearby. I think that was part of the plan of us moving out here is that we would be together. Because we knew that to make it work financially, we would all be living in the same house. The economic benefits of multiple generations living under one roof are striking. Pooling financial resources among the generations is a really smart way to lower the cost of owning a home. 
Shared ownership allows young people to save more easily. And for older adults, it lets them draw down less on their retirement savings. It lets young families save on child care. And it allows for the older parents to save money on the care they need as they become frail. It lets them age at home, something most people want to do. Of course, not all multi-generational families live under one roof. Sometimes the smarter move for everyone is to turn the garage into an apartment for the grandparents, or the grandparents might move into a home nearby. The money side of the equation and the mutual convenience of living together is why I believe the multi-generational home is moving from society's tributaries into the mainstream. But, and this is a big but, as with all personal finance issues, the real core question is about values, relations, lifestyle, goals. The relationships and the values come first. Money is nothing more than a tactic. It's mostly family dynamics. I think the the finances come as a secondary situation. Emily and her mom, Sandra, knew that if they moved in together, they'd have to work out a new relationship with each other. I just love being the queen bee of my own home and uh, and and knowing that, you know, if if, if we do this, we, if we all come together, I would no longer be the queen bee. I would not want to be the queen bee. It's my daughter's turn, you know, her turn to be the queen, and I would be the supporting role. So big question for myself is, can I do that? Can I, am I ready to make that switch? You know, I'm, I was 58 years old, and that's not old to do that, and, and, that I had to really do some soul searching. And Sandra and her daughter both worried about how sharing a home was going to work for Emily's husband, Eric. I think it's the spouse whose parents are not moving in really needs to be given a lot of opportunity to voice any concerns that they have and have those taken seriously because it shouldn't turn into an extension of an adult child child's childhood. I guess, and there's, there's a lot of danger of that, I think, if you're not careful. With those insights in mind, Sandra and Dwight sat down with Eric and asked, Babe, you're going to be living with your mother-in-law. Do you really want to do that? Now, we didn't get to hear directly from Eric. Not because he said, no, I don't want to live with my mother-in-law, but because Eric works nights. He was asleep during our visit. But Eric did say, yes, life is crazy. Please come. So Sandra and Dwight retired early from their teaching jobs, sold their home in Fresno, and moved to D.C. Now, they needed a house that would give all of them space, privacy. They looked at more than 60 homes. They picked a three-story house in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Sondra and Dwight live in the basement. That's their apartment. This is the, the nestiest room in the house to me I, because it's just filled with some stuff. The main floor really is for everyone. our living room and our... Library room. We are a household of readers. But especially for the kids. Asaka is five and Kyoko is almost three. But how old will you be on your next real birthday? Are you going to be 14? No. Five. Five. <laughs> no. How old are you going to be? Three? But, but actually yes. five. <laughs> the top floor is for Emily, Eric, and the two kids. Emily says she loves it, but she doesn't get a lot of time alone in the house. We've been here for four years now, 
Um, and I've been home alone for four hours during that whole period. It was one four-hour stretch. It was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those, there's, there's, there's a loss of, of personal space in there that can be a little jarring. Um, but again, I think that we all try to be very respectful of, of each other's time and, and space as well to make sure that we're preserving that. It is fun and it's also chaotic at the same time. You give up a certain amount of autonomy. Uh, you have to start every day with this feeling of, okay, everything has to be a little bit flexible because, and then, you know, you start filling in, filling in blanks. You know, we love our, our, our daughter and son-in-law and certainly the grandchildren very, very much, but, you know, we're all different people and you have to start every day with that sense of, okay, this, today is going to be another day of give and take. But then there's just also the, the joy of going upstairs and getting hugged every morning by these two lovely grandchildren. So it's, it's pretty wonderful. One sunny Halloween, the rabbit family was out in the garden. Father and mother rabbit were, what were they doing? Picking apples. They're picking apples. And little rabbit and baby rabbit were playing... <laughs> Follow the leader. The transition has gone well for Sandra and Dwight, but there have been some challenges. I was surprised by the move because both Dwight and I lived in the Central Valley our whole lives, and we were high school sweethearts. You know, we go that far back. I mean, the house we lived in, we'd lived in for almost 25 years. And then to just uproot lifelong friends, every place familiar, everything we knew. That was harder than I thought it was going to be. Their house in Fresno was almost paid off, and they left behind good-paying jobs. So they needed to find a way to bring in some income. Both Sandra and Dwight took on classic unretirement jobs. Sandra took advantage of her skills in training. She taught a Montessori program in her home for some neighborhood kids. Dwight, he found a job that's both practical and fun. It's very different. I was a music teacher for 34 years in the elementary school in California. And uh, and I came over to uh, to D.C. Actually, Sandra and I both came over here without really thinking about what are we going to do. We needed to have medical benefits. That was probably the biggest driving, driving thing. So we started looking for jobs that would have good benefits. And Trader Joe's had great benefits. And so I started working for them. And after probably about two months working there, the manager of the store said, hey, you seem to really enjoy wine. And uh, so then I, little by little, I started doing a little bit more in the wine. And now I'm the person that uh, that orders wine and helps people uh, plan for weddings and parties and things like that. It's just been a fun job. By the way, if you've been listening really closely to this podcast, you realize that Dwight is the second person we talked to who found work in their own retirement at a Trader Joe's. Now, it's pure coincidence. We were surprised when we were doing the interviews and two people mentioned Trader Joe's for separate episodes. But it's also the kind of job that a lot of people are looking for in their own retirement. It offers flexibility, a paycheck, benefits. Of course, there are other companies, but in our case, Trader Joe's was mentioned. All right, let's get back to the story. So here's how the household finances work. Dwight and Saunders pay rent to Emily and Eric, and the younger couple takes care of the household bills. We have kind of a fluid system for for family finances, and um, 
you know, the the basic thing is I think that it's that it's all worked out. Nobody feels like they're being taken advantage of. Emily and Eric, their lives are less stressful, but they're also coming out ahead financially. The the cost of daycare in Washington, D.C., and I think in most metropolitan areas in the country right now is insane. And um, what we were putting out per month is far less than the increase in mortgage and overall household expenditures that we've seen. But for her parents, Dwight and Sandra, money is tighter. Things cost more in D.C. than they did in California, and they have less income. But as they age, they'll be able to rely on Emily and Eric to take care of them. That's reassuring and, again, financially savvy. You know, the commitment that we made to each other is that we're, we're in this for the long haul. That, I mean, to the, each other, I mean between Eric and Emily and Dwight and myself, that we are really in this for the long haul. So we'll, we'll be here and we'll be contributing members of the household as long as we are able, and then we'll see what happens. But, you know, she's a, um, she's a pretty great daughter. She's not going to um, put us out on the curb. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. That, that's a pretty safe bet, I can imagine. That's a pretty safe bet, yeah. So after talking to Sandra, Dwight, Emily, you know, one of the things that really impressed me is how much this family thought through the trade-offs. You know, there are always trade-offs. That's not the issue. The question is, what trade-offs will make you better off? So they planned, they talked to each other, they thought it through, and they made the right decision for them. So goodbye to lots of traveling, goodbye to fancy vacations, goodbye to a bunch of other stuff, but there is no replacing those those grandchildren there is just nothing like having our babies babies hop on my lap and and say oh oma oma hug me read me a story oma come and play with me i just i can't imagine enjoying a nice vacation knowing that i had given up that to do it This is On Retirement. I'm Chris Farrell. Next, a conversation with Esther Greenhouse, a multi-generational expert. I called Esther Greenhouse to learn more about how multi-generational living can benefit families. Esther is an environmental gerontologist. Now say that fast five times. A specialist in the relationship between our homes and our well-being as we age. The Pew Research Center has some fascinating numbers. Back in 1980, 12.1% of the U.S. population lived in a multi-generational family home. That's now up to over 18%. So my first question to Esther was, what's behind the trend toward multi-generational homes? To me, I see a parallel between the growth in multi-generational households and the demand for aging in place. These are two approaches to living that are not new, that we have traditionally done, but we strayed away from them, um, and now we're returning back to them. Well, 
One of the things that turns it, you know, forces driving it, whenever you mention multi-generational households or whenever I do, a lot of times people say, oh, that's because uh, uh, people lost their job. It, it's, it, this is a temporary thing. because This is really a bad thing because it's bad things that happen to people, and that's why they're living in a multi-generational house. We definitely have seen um, the, the economy playing a role. So, when you look at people of, for example, my generation, Gen X, we're the first generation in U.S. history to do worse than our parents. And this started when we were leaving college and we couldn't afford to live independently. You know, we moved back in. We were the boomerang children. And while that began over 20 years ago, that was really an indication of a coming economic change that's not just a temporary condition. So where do you see the multi-generational home going next? Well, I think the multi-generational home, the future for it is, number one, is greater acceptance. We've seen not only an increase in multi-generational home sharing, but there's also an increase in um, grandparents' caring for grandchildren while um, the adult children, the parents, are at work. An advantage of multi-generational home sharing is that you're all under one roof for that scenario. I love how I'm seeing articles like articles you've written and articles that have been written over the past few years showing examples of multi-generational households where not only do we discuss the advantages, but we also discuss what were some of the obstacles and how do we overcome them? Because if we talk frankly about them and we give examples for solutions, then people feel empowered to embrace that option for themselves. And what are some of those obstacles and some solutions? Give us an example. One thing harkens back to the design of the home. Can my parents or can I age successfully and live as independently as possible in the house, the concept of privacy, as you mentioned. Sometimes in a multi-generational household, you do want to have a separate living space and, in effect, really a separate apartment or suite within the home. Sometimes it's important for families to have utilities be separated for the persons who are living in the suite or the accessory dwelling unit, or the apartment to have their own complete kitchen. So getting a sense of what is valuable to each member of the family, and ideally before you move in, but, but of course things are going to arise as the household comes together. But again, looking at what features of the built environment can enable uh, each family member to be independent, especially as certain family members as the older generations age. Thanks, Esther. That was Esther Greenhouse, an environmental gerontologist. You can find out more about her work at estergreenhouse.com. Now it's time to take a listener question. And if you have a question about your unretirement, contact us on our website, unretirement.fm. Elizabeth, 
I have a question about multi-generational housing. We were interested in having my parents move in with us, either in a duplex or a large house together, because we were ready to move into a bigger house. But when we approached them about that, they were definitely not interested. Um, One question, though, we always had about the finances was how we would handle the down payment, because in order for us to afford a house that would be big enough for both families, we would need help with the down payment. But that always felt really strange to have my parents contribute to it because it would be like an interest-free loan to us, which seemed unfair to my brother. And also thinking about when they died, if um, they were still living with us, then their money would be tied up in half of our house. So we went ahead because they weren't interested and bought a house on our own. Um, But because of this question, we weren't able to buy something that was really the perfect thing to accommodate them should they change their minds later and want to move in with us. Um, Our house is bigger than our old house, but it doesn't have a first floor bathroom or a room that could easily be converted into a first floor bedroom. Elizabeth is asking the important, the basic questions. You know, intertwining finances with relationships can be really complex. But Elizabeth's question is mostly on the finances, and that's what I'm going to focus on. But I have two takeaways. If there's nothing else you remember from answering Elizabeth's question, I want you to take away this. One, you can deal with almost any issue with planning and conversation. And two, keep any solution as simple as possible. So with the down payment, the issue on the down payment is really about fairness to the brother. So have a conversation with the brother. Does he agree with the multi-generational home? Does he like the idea of a multi-generational home? And then talk to the parents, and they can make an adjustment in their will or trust or legal document where take the amount of the down payment and make an adjustment on the inheritance on the 401k or the 403b or some other monies. In other words, you can make an adjustment because Elizabeth and her family are getting the benefit of this down payment so that the brother is also treated fairly. And my guess is the brother's also going to like the idea of everybody living under one roof, particularly as the parents age. Paul Royal, he's a certified financial planner, real estate agent, lives in New Hampshire. He created a multi-generational home. And when I was talking to him, his solution was he took an interest-free loan from his parents and they paid rent. And he used that rent to pay off the loan. But his parents came out ahead because they weren't paying for the maintenance of their home. They weren't paying property taxes. He paid the bill on the cable TV and the internet, all those other expenses. So his parents were were paying rent, but the cost of living for them was cheaper. And for him, it allowed him to buy a bigger home that made it comfortable for everybody to live under one roof. Two other things for Elizabeth to think about, or for anybody who's thinking about a multi-generational home. You're going to have to have a discussion with the parents about end-of-life issues. Because in most cases, people are moving into the house, they're going to be there for, what, five, maybe ten years at the most. I think Sandra and Dwight are unusual because they're getting together with their children at age 60. But in many cases, you might be 70, 75. So you should have a conversation. Again, plan about end-of-life issues. My last point Most people end up remodeling their home. You know, in your 40s, in your 50s, you look around and you say, oh, boy, things are a little bit torn down. I'm going to do a little remodeling. Well, 
for Elizabeth, I would think about any remodeling that she's doing, even though her current house is not that conducive to her parents moving in, remodel with an idea that perhaps they might eventually move in. And maybe you're going to make an addition and put a bathroom in on the first floor. You can make an addition and add a bedroom on the first floor and a different entrance, depending on what the finances are. But Years ago, an architect told me that whenever someone's doing a remodeling and you're thinking about your parents and maybe they're going to move in with you, uh, do some adjustments. Build it into the remodeling. It'll add about 5% to the overall cost, he estimated. So, for example, and this was it's a classic example, nobody really wants to put into their bathroom a safety bar right in the shower or the tub. You really don't like that. But if you're doing a bathroom remodeling, why not put the plates in the wall? And then if your parents do move in and that becomes their bathroom, all you're doing is putting the safety bar in there. You don't have to tear down the wall. You don't have to hire someone to come in and do a lot of work for you. You've done the infrastructure. So again, keep it simple. Have a conversation. You can make adjustments in the will to deal with issues about fairness with the down payment. The parents are typically going to pay rent to help defray the cost of the larger home and home ownership. And if you do remodel and you think your parents might be moving in at some point and you're doing some remodeling the bathroom, remodeling the kitchen, think about what sort of changes could you make that would help your elderly parents move in if they do at some point. And if they don't, my guess is going to add to the resale value of your home. Thanks for listening to Unretirement. I'm Chris Farrell. One of the joys of doing the podcast is reading and hearing listener comments, your feedback. So we want to hear from you. And could you do us a favor? Go to iTunes, look up Unretirement, and leave a rating and review of the show. It truly helps us get the word out to more listeners. On Retirement is produced by American Public Media. Editor Catherine Winter, producer Lauren D, and our Sherpa is Steve Nelson. We also had help on this episode from Emily Hanford. <laughs>